live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in the studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello there. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of entertainment, so we're going to be breaking down the latest in movies, TV, comics, and more. So we definitely want to interact with you. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on our social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page. Drop that follow. Drop that subscribe. Do what you got to to interact because we'd like to keep that conversation going. Check out the Parlay Point section. New blogs are up. Comic reviews are up. Mm-hmm. you got to check out the lineup this week. It's a pretty stacked one. Not going to lie. Also, T Public Store, where it's always a great time to go get some new designs, which are up right now. Mm-hmm. All that and so much more. If it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media, use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show. Wow, we had a show get dropped on us today. Mm-hmm. That is already sending a buzz through the Star Wars universe. Uh-huh. Now, I know as you're listening, you're going, well, wait. Obi-Wan Kenobi's been out for five episodes now, with episode five getting dropped today. But this week's episode is generating a certain kind of reaction throughout the Star Wars community. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, you're not wrong there. So, we are going to be breaking down the latest of what's going on with this episode. Because, obviously, the series has been a hit with fans thus far. Ewan McGregor reprising his role as Obi-Wan Kenobi has been nothing short of a smash success. And you have the one only Hayden Christensen coming back as Darth Vader slash Anakin slash mm-hmm. the walking phenom that he is. Mm-hmm. And really amplifying the series up that much more. So mm-hmm. if anybody was curious about like how this is going to go, because you know it's how it continuum, blah, blah, blah. It's delivering on all fronts. But where we are now on the second to last episode of the season one, yep. which note how I'm wording that, that is my unofficial ODPH guess. We are going to have a second season of this. This week's episode really got people buzzing. Uh huh. So that said, if you're new to the ODPH, well, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. But what we like to do is we'll give you a spoiler-free statement concerning this episode, and then we're going to do a deep dive in on it. But we do the timestamp for you, because if you haven't seen the episode yet, we don't want to ruin anything for you. So we say pause it at that moment, jump back in after you watch the episode, and then you can catch up with us on the deep dive. But that being said, Pad, spoiler-free statement on episode five. I love the episode. It was such a love letter to prequel fans, and I was screaming inside of two minutes. And I mean that in a good way. This episode really was a strong way to go into the finale. I wasn't sure how we were going to do this at first, but the performances from Ewan McGregor Mm -hmm. and Riva, who has been absolutely smashed playing... Her is uh, Moses Ingram. Yep. Who's been, like I say, I can't speak highly enough of her acting She's in this show. She's been great. She's been phenomenal in this. Those two really stole this episode and have us going into a finale where all signs point to the big battle we've all been waiting for since it was announced coming to Disney Plus way back when. Mm-hmm. Star Wars fans are going to be very, very talkative about this episode. There's a good buzz going into that finale. And fans, you don't want to miss next week's show by any stretch of the means. So that said... 
It's time to talk some spoilers. So after the countdown, we're live in three, two, one. Pad, talk to me. Love the episode. Uh, like I said, was screaming and weeping. Not going to lie. I wept within the first two minutes of this fucking episode because I, I thought we would see it. I hoped we would see it. I was still kind of like reservations. Like, I don't want to get my hopes up too much in case it doesn't happen. Then I get let down. But when it finally fucking happened, God damn, I got, I got misty eyed to see Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker again after more, many, many years, you know, since 2005, they were, I think they wrapped for uh, filming in 2004. So it's been 16 plus years to finally see him and Obi-Wan Kenobi back together on screen and goddamn, they pulled off the, you know, for considering it was their episode two looks. So mm-hmm. it was when Anakin was still a pad Padawan, Obi-Wan was his master. So that's even further back, you know, for, in terms of how they look for the kudos to the costume and hair and makeup team for, for making that because they're not as young as they were then. No, definitely not. This is kudos to the special effects crew and taking us back and seeing Hayden Christensen coming out as Anakin, I, not the, Vader. No, I want to stress this. Yeah, the, the episode starts. You know, it's a, it's the Coruscant skyline. The camera's kind of coming back in, and I saw the head in the Padawan braid, and I screamed mm. legitimately. And it's a good thing I wasn't watching as early as I normally do. Yeah, because I'd have woken up my neighbors. But as soon as I saw that Padawan braid, I screamed. Yeah, because when I saw him coming on screen, I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, this has been the moment we've all been waiting for. Because, obviously, the prequels of the Star Wars universe are very polarizing. Mm-hmm. I am not a fan of them. Sure. I, I, I share no shame in saying this. I don't really like them. Uh, Attack of the Clones. Hot garbage. I'm not going to lie. Just, I don't care about in any way, shape, or form. Revenge of the Sith is the only one that I give a damn about. Sure. But this said, it was a cool moment to see Christensen come back as... Anakin. Yeah. Because for all the heat he took. Undeservedly so. For those trilogies. And how much of that fandom went at him blaming him on failing Mm -hmm. the the stuff. I'm sorry. You can't blame him. You can blame the script because the script was thrown together. I don't care if anybody says my opinion. I don't care if anybody says it was done 20 years ago. I think it was done on the spot after the movies were really booming. You can't go back and try rewriting stuff and have it just be in that all over the place. Right. And expect everybody to just go, okay, well, hey, here we go. Yeah. It's not going to happen. And Christensen took a ton of heat mm-hmm. until recently fans finally were willing to go, you know what, let's give it another chance. Well, and, and you know what I think happened? I think, you know, the films, the, that age group was, or that uh, the age group that those films were made for was were still growing up. It was myself. It was, you know, the younger folks. The kids, you know, and and Star Wars was still predominantly, you know, a lot of older fans who saw the original trilogy when they came out and they had their ways and this and that. So, like, we were kind of like we were still in fucking grade school worrying about our, you know, times tables and arithmetic and and grammar and all that shit. So once it came time and like we and, and the age group kind of moved, you know, and then it became predominantly the next generation, you know, the prequel generation, I guess you could call it. That's where that's where the love fest started, and I really think the love fest for the prequels, by and large, has to do with the work Dave Filoni did. Because mm-hmm. I will I will admit, as much as I love the prequels, they're some of my favorite movies. Yes, Attack of the Clones isn't the greatest movie, but it's got some of the best action sequences in Star Wars. Hello, Yoda with a lightsaber. Yeah, I'll give you that. Enough said. But I will agree, there are issues and there are gripes with how the plot develops from two to three, and he, you know, from two to three. I think a lot of the love fest has to do with the work Dave Filoni and crew did with the Clone Wars. 
where if you don't, and, and this is to anybody listening, if you don't understand why Anakin went the way he did and why he went from happy-go-lucky, I'm marrying the love of my life, who I called an angel the first 30 seconds I met her, to I'm pissed off and I'm and I'm unintentionally killing her, watch The Clone Wars. Yeah, it explains a lot. It, it explains a lot. It fills in a lot. You know, it was done by George Lucas, and, and Dave Filoni was the producer of that series. You know, he learned at the feet of George Lucas. You know, all, all of those stories were from George Lucas, you know, written by other people, but he had a very heavy hand in them. You know, and it, and it explains a lot. And you and you go from season one where he's still that kind of like episode two, Attack of the Clone, happy-go-lucky guy who's fighting a war and kind of taking it, you know, jogging merrily down the street to the final season where he is just all sorts of angsty and pissed off. And it's the journey in between that kind of filled in that gap. And I think that's where a lot of the fans' love came from was the work of Dave. Well, I'm sure. I mean, Filoni's work has definitely been what we all benchmark now. And I think that is his, if his name's on a project, everybody's getting into it. Everybody's fully oh, yeah. on board with I've, it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. He's the best storyteller in Star Wars right now. Yeah, there's no question. The I only, I, the I'll, only, I'll co-sign on that. The only one who might come close, and we've still got to see what he comes out with, is Taika Waititi. Because he had some comments the other day that I read. And I'm like, okay, this guy gets it. Yeah, which I, Taika is really a big name right now. Obviously, the work he's done with Thor and making yeah. him now the face of the Avengers. Which, I mean, we'll get into more when we get closer to Love and Thunder. But it's one of those situations that, with that fandom and, and how Christensen plays into it, fans are willing to give him another chance, and rightfully so. Yeah. And seeing him come out and having the little flashback sequence with Obi-Wan and getting a little bit more of their backstory, not just for Star Wars fans, but like we say, anytime a show like this comes on Disney+, Plus, yeah. you're bringing in a new audience. Yeah. Whether you mean to or, you not, or not, which, I mean, I, they fully do. Right. But I think for a lot of times, fans forget because we're such big fans of a genre, mm-hmm. whether it's Star Wars, whether it's Marvel. We need to remember that there are people that are just tuning yeah. in because they're hearing hype about Ian yeah. McGregor coming to TV, and that is drawing some new fans in. So yeah. when we're getting this all retold, we got to remember there are some people seeing this for the first mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and this is making that connection with them because when you see them having the sparring match, yeah, this plays into how the rest of this episode goes because mm-hmm. where we were left off, Obi Wan had escaped with Princess Leia from the clutches of Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And is now on the run with The Path, which is an underground network that's helping the Jedis fight the Empire. Yeah. Albeit, though, they don't realize that Reva has put a tracker mm-hmm. on a droid. It's like a tracker also kind of like a kind of takes the functions of the droid and kind of like overrides them. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's some big implications at stake here because Vader obviously wants Princess Leia away from the um, or from the well, I, I don't think he knows about the kid and i don't think he cares because if you think of the original trilogy he's aware of he's aware of, of leia because she eventually becomes a senator in the imperial senate mm-hmm. so he know later he'll know who she is and he'll know okay leia organa her father's bail like he'll know who she is but i think at this point he doesn't know or care who he, she is he's more focused on obi-wan because hey that's the one that got away and that's the one who put my life through living hell well, I think it's a little bit of both. Like, that's the way I took it, but I think Obi-Wan is the driving force to it yeah. because anytime that the Empire feels that there's a threat, mm-hmm. and obviously 
with Leia being connected to the senator, mm-hmm. this is a big thing that Vader would say, okay, well, if we can sway the senator to work with us, yeah. this would help us out. But obviously, revenge kicks in because the minute he felt Obi-Wan's presence, it was like, okay, mm-hmm. let's take that trip back down memory lane. So a beacon in the sky. Yeah, so I think it's a double win for him. Yeah, but it's, there's, it's a means to an end. It is, but as you can see throughout this episode, he's more vengeful mm-hmm. and it's more emotional to him. Oh, yeah. Than it than we were originally so this, buying into. This, this ain't the calm, cool, calculating Vader you might be used to from some of the comics and the, and the movies. There, there's a lot of emotion. He he's really letting his emotions get in the way of his judgment with us. And when everybody says, "How did Kylo Ren get that emotion?" Well, look to Grandpa. It runs in the family. Yep. So that being said, we see that they do land on a base, mm-hmm. and. Obi-Wan knows that everybody's coming for him. Yeah. So there has been no question about this. And when they go into hiding, he's getting together with the rest of the path, mm-hmm. which we see Talia, who's been played by Indra Varma. Mm-hmm. And we do see Kawan, mm-hmm. who's been played by O'Shea Jackson, yeah. are really kind of mobilizing everybody and saying, okay, we have to figure out a plan here. Because yeah. yeah. obviously Leia, everybody's coming after her. Because that's what they're assuming. Mm-hmm. And they're also, Obi-Wan's like, no, it's pretty much after me, and you don't realize what we're going into. Yeah, because that's the thing is, Obi-Wan, for as much as he's changed, Obi-Wan still knows Vader, Anakin, because, let's face it, he's basically known him for the majority of his life. Like, mm. they lived together, and they hung out together for the better part of 10 years when he was uh, met the his Padawan, and then in their time in the Clone Wars, they were together pretty much all the time. So he knows the guy. Yeah. So it's a situation that now, Obi-Wan is trying to mobilize everybody, because the path, their base is now exposed. Yeah. And he knows what's coming. Well, yeah, and because they know what's coming because uh, Leia's droid Lola, I think is the mm-hmm. droid's name, finally realizes where they're at and goes to sabotage the base because the base has got a front door. It's also got an overhead door for the ships to escape. And it, the droid goes into the inner workings of the, the circuitry or whatever and sabotages the place. And the doors shut, and they got, and everyone's kind of like, because they got a, there's a bunch of people there, because they got a backlog of people they got to transport, and the and the overhead doors shut, and they go, wait, what's going on? And they go, somebody goes over to the control panel, and tick 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 tick, uh, the controls are overridden. What the hell's going on? And, and Obi Wan instantly goes, yeah, no, I know, I know what this is. Yeah, so he's getting ready, and at the same time, for Rava's work for Vader. He promotes her to Grand Inquisitor, mm-hmm. which I thought was a cool moment. Yeah. Not going to lie, right. because he, she lived up to his end of the deal. Exactly. And when she arrives on the planet, you see one of the best visuals I think we've seen on the show, because you see the Stormtrooper army is getting ready to yeah. start firing on the base. But the minute she lands, they all part ways, and she comes walking through as the general. Lines could have been straighter, but I digress. Yeah. It happens, but still, we get to the standoff where they're all behind the door of the entry to the building. Mm-hmm. Rava comes right up there yep. and has a weird, can I say heart-to-heart? Kind of, yeah. Would that be okay? Do, do dark side users have a heart? Mm, one, one of the two main dark side users doesn't have a heart. So we'll just say that there was a very in-depth conversation between Obi-Wan and Rava because Obi-Wan's trying to stall to get everybody further in the base. Yeah. And during this conversation, we get a little more information about Reva. Mm-hmm. That we find out that she was one of the young children in the Jedi Temple during Order 66. Mm-hmm. And how she knows Vader's identity. Yeah, because she, well, how does she know? She saw his face. Yeah, because. Yeah, yeah the hood's up, but unlike, you know, Clark Kent, who throws glasses on and fools everyone, mm-hmm. Anakin's got his hood up, fools absolutely no one. Right. And then we find out that what she's been doing, it seems, mm-hmm. is 
She's been playing the long game to get close to him to kill him. Mm-hmm. In such a weird setup, which I did not see coming. Bold strategy, Cotton. See how it plays out for him. Yeah, which I was like, okay, this is very intriguing, so and I like how wa- we're going. If, if you watch Star Wars television or played Star Wars video games the last 10 years or so, you know how this is going to go. Yeah, exactly, which it's like, well, I don't know how we're going to shape up here, but I'm, I'm along for the ride. But enough stalling happens. She gets her lightsaber out, cuts right through the door. Mm-hmm. All hell breaks loose. Stormtroopers still can't hit anybody with lasers. Well, we know this. I mean, this is nothing new. It's nothing new, but still, it just, for how close they got to everybody, that was my only gripe with this episode. That's the difference between clones and average Joes. Clones are trained for this shit. Average Joes, not so much. Yeah, so they're they're missing everybody. The the path network is escaping Mm -hmm. until Obi-Wan is standing him off as best he can. But during the fight, Tutala gets hurt. Yeah. And she knows that she's on borrowed time because she takes a very bad wound. Yeah, she gets like a shot to her chest or abdomen Abs. or something. Yeah, and, and she kind of puts her hand there and then pulls it back and you see blood on her hands. Right. So her droid shields her. She forces Obi-Wan to go through the doors and shuts the doorway off. So yeah. she locks herself in. And then she gets a detonator out and makes the droid explode. Well, because the droid at this point is... Kaputz. Yeah, he's done it, anyway. It's, it's done because, you know, he went to cover her and then the lights in his eyes went off, so he's been destroyed. And so with she's hilariously outnumbered, mm-hmm. you know, for as bad as stormtroopers are with their aim, uh, at that point, I don't think aim matters. You're still going to get her. So, yeah, she uses it as cover, shuts the door, go, run, you know, and as the right as the door shuts, may the force be with you. Yeah. It's a crazy scene, but it's an impactful one, though. Yeah. It really hits you right yeah. in the feels. So... With Talia's sacrifice, Obi-Wan has the moment sink in. Like, we talk about the gravity of the situation. Yeah. You can see it on his face. And this is one thing I thought you and McGregor absolutely crushed in this scene. Mm-hmm. You can just see how the weight of everything around, and this is his fault, mm-hmm. is now crashing in on him. And he's... That, well, because I think it's it's dredging up the memories of what happened with Order 66. And you just think of how much he's lost over there. You know, he lost his master mm-hmm. to the dark side, you know. And then he lost a lot of friends... And comrades in the Clone Wars because of the dark side. You know, the, the love of his life died in the Clone Wars because of the dark side. You know, and then he lost his brother, Anakin, to the dark side. You know, he lost, you know, basically every friend, mentor, and colleague, with the exception of, you know, Yoda, to Order 66. You know, so he's lost so much that I don't care how much time has passed. I don't think he would have ever gotten over that. You know, but then you just couple with now he's just losing even more people that he cares about or, or are in his life and connected to him to the dark side, to the to the evil. And at this point, he's got to be sitting there going, fuck, is it me? Yeah. E- everyone around me is dying to the dark side. At this point, you should go on Kevin Durant. Can't beat him. Join him. <laughs> that was, there are fan fiction out there about that. I'm just saying. I'm just saying because he's fighting a losing battle. But he comes to the realization that they're going back to that flashback sequence mm-hmm. of how he defeated Anakin. Yeah. Not exactly sure the symbolism of that other than this was just a time that he took the upper hand on Anakin. The Every time they cut back to, and I'm not going to be able to eloquently put this, but this is kind of how I saw it and how I noticed it. Every time they cut back to the flashback, the flashback had something to do with what was going on in the moment. Mm. So like when... They show the thing, and it's just kind of like they're nothing. Like, hey, we're showing this flashback. They cut back to it again. He knows what Anakin's going to do because Anakin 
in the training session because that's one of the things they put in the Revenge of the Sith novelization was that they know each other so well because they sparred so often and so much that they basically knew what they would the other would do before they did it. Yeah. You know, so he knows what he's going to do because of these sparring sessions. So he knows, okay, he's not a defensive guy. He's an offensive guy. He's not going to sit back and wait for me to show myself again. He's going to do everything I can, everything he can to find me. So whatever they showed with the flashback sequences had something to do with what was going to happen in present time. Mm-hmm. So he does have a little conversation too with a returning friend we forgot to mention, and that's Haja Street, mm-hmm. who's played by Kamal Nanjani. Yeah, and of course, uh, Obi Wan's like, "What are you doing here?" He's like, "Well, because I helped you, I'm kind of now wanted by the Empire, so this is kind of my only option." Yeah, so he kind of takes a little play from him and brings it here, where he says, "Okay, I can buy you more time, mm-hmm. but you're going to have to trust me. I'm surrendering myself to Reva." And everybody's looking at him like, are you out your mind? Mm-hmm. But he's like, no, just trust it. And he kind of has this little hand exchange with the jaw. And he now goes into the custody of Reva. So this is a weird kind of dynamic. Because in this time, he winds up selling the idea to Reva that, yeah, I can get you as close to Vader as you, you, you've never been before. Because when you deliver me to him, you can, you can kill him. Mm-hmm. Because he's going to be too distracted with me. It's a scary play. But it's a smart play, like all things considered, which I was surprised about. But as this is also going on to, we haven't seen too much of Princess Leia this episode. No. But she's already being one of the smarter characters in the room because she's allowed to get the base fixed and get everybody escaped before Vader comes flying in. Goddamn. And when he shows up, this is when things get really crazy uh, it's insane just when you thought they couldn't make a man look any more terrifying they find ways to yeah because he comes i, I would say power walking is probably the power easiest. striding yeah that man ain't walking he is striding yeah he's almost running to the chance to get outside because he gets to the one ship uh-huh. that's a decoy as we find out it goes flying up in the air he brings that thing down with a force like nobody's business whereas ray struggled to hold you know the one starship and rise of skywalker down you know, to kind of hold it back. Vader goes, LOL, bat, and just yeah. yanks it down with like one finger. Yeah, does that and then rips the door off and then finds it's empty. He rips the he rips the thing pretty much in half. Yeah. It's insane. It's crazy. But at this time, too, the promise of Kenobi is gone because he's on the other ship escaping with Leia and everybody else from the path. Mm-hmm. So while he's standing there watching the other ship go away because he's trying, sitting there trying to comprehend like what just happened, mm-hmm. Rava tips her hand being very, very emotional mm-hmm. because all this talk about bringing up Order 66, she's now swayed to the power of the Jedi and tries sneaking up on Vader. <laughs> in one of the most badass scenes I think I've seen in Star Wars Mythos, Vader doesn't even get his lightsaber out. No. He's just literally using his hand and the Force. No. And yeah. defending himself and absolutely schooling her. Uh-huh. And this is, Rava's trying every trick in the book, and she's holding her own for the most part, too. Yeah. We, we, have oh, to, yeah. we have to give credit to this. He's still the chosen one, though. But still, when she even tries doing the helicopter yeah. lightsaber, too, yeah. and, and Vader just stops it and then rips it oh, in yeah. half. Oh, yeah. And he's just like, are we done yet? <laughs> are really? Are we going to keep going? Okay, here's your lightsaber back. Yeah. Like, I mean, how much of a boss move was that? He's like, here, take yeah. your weapon. Try again. Yeah. Like, you know what? I'm bored. So, like, entertain me. Yeah. Like, this is how crazy this moment was. That he's literally challenging her mm-hmm. to come fight him because he is just so angry. He's like, I, you know what? You wanted the fight so badly. You want some? Come get some. Yeah. And then so at this point, she gets overtaken and 
Vader stabs her. Mm-hmm. And it's a high shot, too, like in yeah. the shoulder. So yeah. I don't want to say it was a fatal blow by any means, even no. though it looks it. Because during this sequence, too, you see her having flashbacks to Order 66 when she was attacked by Vader. Mm-hmm. And then as she's falling to the ground unconscious, she sees the original Grand Inquisitor come out, mm-hmm. who is completely fine oh, yeah. from her backstabbing on him. Hey, we never saw a body. Yeah. And he goes grows up to Reva, gets the Inquisitor badge off her, tags it to him, and then they just both walk away. I love the line he says to her when he goes to walk away. He's like, you know what? We're going to leave you exactly where we found you, in a gutter. Yeah. I was like, ooh, Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's a cold statement, but man, it happens. So meanwhile, they take off as the network is now escaping. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like everybody is now going to Tatooine. Yeah, except uh, Obi-Wan's a little concerned about something, although he can't quite put his finger on why. Yes, because, well, if he's going back to Tatooine and he knows Vader's in hot pursuit, Mm -hmm. probably this is not the best plan. Well, and also it cuts back to an injured Reva who finds the transmitter Obi-Wan had, and he sees the message, or she sees a message Bail Organa sent. And it's kind of broken. It's kind of garbled because, hey, the transmitter got broken a little bit. But it does mention Tatooine, Skywalker, and Owen. And and she puts two and two together. And the final shot of the episode is of a young 10-year-old Luke sleeping soundly in his bed at the Lars homestead. Yeah, so you got to think, is he bringing the fight to Tatooine? I think so. And I think they're going to, at some point, whether it's this episode or the next episode, they're going to be borrowing, and I'm showing you the, the panel, they're going to be borrowing from the Star Wars Visionaries comic, which was, it's kind of like the Marvel What If. Okay. You know, where there was one they did where Vader didn't die and he turned back to the light side and he wore this all-white costume, which is fucking awesome. Uh, but there was one comic before they brought back Darth Maul officially. They brought Darth Maul back in the comics, and Darth Maul came for revenge on Obi-Wan, and he tracked him down on Tatooine, and Obi-Wan had to fight him right outside the Lars homestead because Maul figured out what was going on. So I think they might be borrowing a little bit from that Visionaries comic. Uh, if you want to read it, it's a good one. It's uh, Star Wars Visionaries Old Wounds. It was uh, done in 2004. So 2004, it was well before they brought Darth Maul back. That'd be a wild scenario. Can you imagine Vader and Obi-Wan fighting right in front of the front yard? Mm-hmm. Like, that would be insane. Uh-huh. But, I mean, this show might do it. I mean, that's the one thing about it. This this show definitely had a lot going on with it, too. And like I say, you're really getting a, 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 a fine picture of Vader if you didn't already have one. Yeah. Like I said, the fight with Reva, where he legitimately was like, I'm bored, and I will entertain you. With this notion that you can beat me. Well, and that's that's not the first time we've seen him do that. I mean, you think back to his fight with Luke. He's almost bored there. Right, but this was like the first real time, like, he was just sitting there and just toying. Yeah. Like, I mean, with the Luke one, he was a little more challenged, but you got to remember the personal connection oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the one thing with him. Like, yeah, I'm sure he he was bored at first, but then once it started sinking in. Yeah. Because when he drops that notion to him, like, oh, yeah, I'm you know, I'm your father, mm-hmm. everything changes. Well, I mean, but, he's, a, he's a lot more powerful than he gets credit for. I mean, there is an episode of Rebels where he f- rides into where the action is taking place on top of a fucking TIE fighter. Yeah. Like, the legend of Vader is just growing with this show, and I mean, I think that the addition of him and really letting him sink his teeth into the fandom. And and now you have like a better understanding of how much of a badass he is. Because I think for a lot of new fans, Mm -hmm. like, you know, the character, you recognize the face, the helmet, yeah, but you don't really get to see it. And this is one that he is just cold and emotional. Mm -hmm. But during the sequence with Rava, like I say, this is something that he was just sitting there bored. 
mm-hmm. and just seeing how nonchalant he was. And he's like, I'll entertain your notion. And that's what I was saying. Like, that's, that's just how he is, man. I mean, Jedi Fallen Order, you know, there is a sequence, spoiler alert, but hey, it's been out long enough. You, you should, should have played it by now. Mm-hmm. But there is a sequence in Jedi Fallen Order where he shows up, you know, another Inquisitor. Is there not anyone in this show? But there's another Inquisitor there who's failed him. And he, he at this point, he's like, I'm fucking done with this shit. So he kind of hops off the ledge he's on, walks up to her because she can't move. He's grabbed her through the force. Walks up to her, doesn't say a goddamn word. All you hear is the breathing, and he just stabs her right then, yeah. right then and there. Yeah, I mean, Vader has just become such a force of nature. And seeing how emotional this show was today, too, because mm-hmm. Talia sacrificing herself, that was a big deal. Having Rava's story come to life and just seeing how emotional she was. Yeah. And like I said, Moses Ingram absolutely has been crushing this role, and this is where you're really seeing why she was such a big character and she's going to have a big future going forward with this series. I'm not sure what they're going to do for a sequel or where we're going to see her next, but I guarantee we're going to see her again. Oh, probably. And I think that you finally got the backstory we've all been waiting for, and we all had an idea, too, that she was going to be connected with this. I thought, I think we had the theory going around that she was going to be Obi-Wan's original Padawan, but was turned down. Yeah, yeah, I I figured there might have been an Obi-Wan. She was so obsessed with Obi-Wan, I figured there had to be some sort of connection that, like, he might have passed her over or something. Yeah, which I thought, too. I thought, like, okay, this would have been an interesting dynamic. But we see that she was just ploying to get to Vader all along. Mm-hmm. And it's such a cool layer to the character. Like, we have to remember about that, too. But then it's even though she finally gets to her dream, and her dream is just that, a dream, because Vader is so, like, who are you? Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. and, how, and how crushing that moment is that she's trying to fight her damnedest, uh-huh. and it's nothing against her skill set. It's just Vader's that better than everybody else. It's such a wild thing to play out. Oh, yeah. And, it, it, it's essentially her being like a high school baseball player trying to go up against like the greatest baseball hitter today. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just such a hilarious mismatch that there's no business for it to even happen. Yeah, that's why I say Bader looked bored during that fight. Yeah. And it, it was like literally like, I will entertain this. This but, isn't worth my time, but I have to deal with this. Yeah, he's like, fine, do what you're going to do. I'm just going to make quick work of you when I'm ready. Such a scary moment to see, but man, did it deliver. Mm-hmm. Excellent episode. Pad, final thoughts on it? Fantastic episode. Like I said, I love the the flashback scene. I'm finally glad to see that and see Obi-Wan and Anakin on screen together. Like I said, I wept at seeing it. I'm not afraid to say it. Uh, cannot wait to see where they go for next week because it's going to be fucking bonkers. I'm going to tell you right now, watch it early and don't go on social media because I guarantee you something's going to happen. And you, if you go on social media before you see the episode, you'll probably get spoiled. Yeah, give fair warning about that. We won't be talking about it on social media till Friday, but next week's episode, watch early, and if you don't, stay off the internet. No other way to describe it. Next week's episode, something big is going to happen, and I think we're finally going to get the big battle we've all been waiting oh, yeah. for. Oh, yeah. It's going to be Vader versus Kenobi. Something wild is going to happen. I don't know what. But the build from this episode, I mean, this could have been the season finale if they wanted to. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a decent cliffhanger there. It could have been. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if they did, you know what? I wouldn't have been mad. I've been like, okay, here we go for season two. I fully think we're going to get a season two out of this. But the performances, like I said, from Ewan McGregor and Moses Ingram mm-hmm. and Hayden Christensen, like that sold this episode. Like that is what everybody is buying into and just those three balancing each other out, playing off each other's characters and really giving some – serious layer of emotion to the oh, show. Oh, yeah. Well, and if you still, for some goddamn reason, think Hayden Christensen isn't a good actor, I'm, listen, I'm not saying he's the best actor of all time, but, he's, no, a, but... He, he's a good actor. Think of the work he's doing making Vader look as strong and as powerful and as fearful as he is 
without seeing his face, without seeing any facial expressions. Mm-hmm. It's all through the motions of his body. Yeah, we talk about Pedro Pascal being the Mandalorian. Exactly. Same thing. No, Christensen's got to get his flowers for this one. And you can't say he's, oh, well, you know, he's just doing this X, Y, and Z. No, there is something when you can't see an actor's face. Mm-hmm. And they're wearing a mask. And yet you can still read the emotions on them. Mm-hmm. That's a telling point of how good somebody is at their craft. He's very good at this. Like, we always give praise to Pedro Pascal, like I said. Yeah. He's amazing, too, as the Mandalorian because you can tell his emotions through his body language. Yeah. Christensen showed that exemplary in this week's episode. Like I say, I, I can't say enough good things about the performances from all three of them that we just mentioned, let alone Tala's sacrifice, too. That was yeah. a big moment. Like, this show had that big fight feel that we always kind of talk about and delivered. So next week's episode is going to be absolutely wild. We got a week to talk about it, ODPH Society. So hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. Spoiler free till Friday. And then let's go deep diving on the weekends. Let's talk Kenobi Part 5 on Disney+. Plus. Watch it if you can, if you haven't already. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. ODPH. Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Let me tell you a little something about them. First off, I'm your Duke of Nerds. The sweet tea of the nerdy South. Tyler Mack, and I believe wholeheartedly that I speak for not just myself, but my co-host, the doctor of nerdonomics, Josh Davis, that without Ocho Duro Parley Hour, there are quite a few podcasts that would not exist, one of those being 30 and Nerdy Podcast. Congratulations, you guys. Without your help, without your guidance, Without the motivation and the passion that I heard in your all's voices before we even started ours, there would be no 30 Nerdy Podcast. Huge shout out to you, Ken M, Padawan J, Coach Duffy, congratulations on five years, and here's to five more. Cheers to you, boys. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and time to talk about another show on Disney Plus that you should be watching. Uh Uh-huh. And man, oh man, does Marvel Studios have a big hit on their hands with Miss Marvel. Hell yeah. Aman Vellani is playing the title character of Kamala Khan, one of the most popular characters right now in the Marvel Comics universe, and it's definitely translating on the small screen of Disney+. Episode 2 just dropped after a very strong debut, so we have to go deep dive into the episode entitled Crushed. Now, obviously, you know from last segment... This is how we do things here at the ODPH. We give you a spoiler-free statement of what's going on. And then we go give you a countdown, so in case you haven't seen the episode yet, we're not going to spoil anything for you. And then we go into the deep dive after the countdown. So, Pad, that being said, spoiler-free statement. Uh, love the episode. I'm really digging the vibe and the, and the tone of the show. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm excited to see where they go because they're doing the slow build with this and kind of really establishing the character, and I'm all right with that. I really enjoyed this episode. The one thing about this show in general is it's fun. It's energetic. It has a different vibe than you're seeing in comparison to like Moon Knight or some of the other MCU shows that are on Disney Plus. Like, there's just such a unique vibe to it. And it's definitely brought to the small screen by Iman Vellani. Like, she is winning fans over with her portrayal of Kamala Khan, who's like one of the biggest fans of the Marvel characters that we know, but in in the MCU that she lives in, she Mm -hmm. is just like the obsessed fan that is so happy that she has now stumbled upon powers from a bracelet that she had found from her uh, in her family. Mm-hmm. And there's mystery behind it. But after the last episode, it definitely won fans over. It got a lot of people talking. And this week's episode kept that vibe up. A little more, I don't want to say filler, 
But I think we got a little more of her background and a little yeah. more to her character. Explained, which, her, explained her a little bit more. Yeah, which I completely loved. So I definitely enjoyed this episode. But let's get into a little spoiler talk. So we are going to be talking spoilers about episode two entitled Crushed. So in three, two, one, Pad, talk to me. I thought it was a really good episode. Like I said, I dig the vibe and kind of the tone of where they're going with the show. You know, I'm excited to see where they go. And i am I'm got to say, I'm digging the soundtrack of the, of the show. It's amazing. The minute I heard Mace feel so good come out, I was marking out. I'm not going to lie. Love that song. And you just kind of see that after the events of last episode where Kamala made her heroic debut at AvengerCon... She has now gained some new confidence about herself. Mm-hmm. And you see her walking through the high school, like yeah. for the bullies that were picking on her a little bit. She shoves them out of the way to get to her locker. She's, yep. she's talking to a lot of other people. She's really kind of embracing this like new wave of confidence in her, yeah. which is very cool to see. And then you do break away to see her training, as all superheroes do, of course, with her best friend Bruno, who's played by Matt Lentz. and she's really testing out the power level of the bracelets that were found. Well, and she's also scared shitless because she's doing a lot of this on a rooftop. So it's probably 30 plus feet up. So it won't exactly kill you, but it won't, you won't exactly walk away from it. So she's getting, she's getting a little nervous. Well, I think Bruno is really deducting what is going on here. Mm-hmm. And from his deductions that the powers are coming from her and the bracelets are a conductor. Mm-hmm. So, where this lies as far as her origin is very, very intriguing to me. Because mm-hmm. in the comics, she's inhuman. She got the Terrigen Mist. Yep. Uh, and that's how she's developed her, her, her powers here. I'm wondering, though, is her DNA going to be something else here? Could be as a result of two freaking uh, uh, Infinity Stone usages. Because you got to figure there was the one on Earth that wiped out. We don't we don't know her status during the blip. We don't know if she was mm-hmm. around and then she wasn't or if she stuck through. We don't know. So, in theory, she was there for both snaps when, uh, well, three. If yeah, you, th- three, three to break it down. Three, if you think about it. The one where everyone went away. Mm-hmm. The one where everyone went back, came back, and then the one to get rid of Thanos. It's a lot of freaking quantum energy getting thrown out into the universe. And as we know from the Ant-Man movies... Quantum energy does a lot of weird stuff, you know, so it could be a case of her because especially the one happened in the first one was in Wakanda. Mm-hmm. Still, you know, the, the stones are powerful enough that they can be detected across the galaxy. So I don't think it matters how close or how far you can well, it killed be. half the universe. So, yeah, yeah, it, I don't it, think it I went around everywhere. I don't think it matters, you know, how close you have to be for them to affect you in some way. So then the other two were in upstate New York. She's in Jersey. I mean. On a map, it looks far. Realistically, it ain't that far. You know, so she could have easily been exposed to three different instances of quantum energy. Yeah, it's one of those instances that they're going to explain, obviously, but trying to try and do the early speculation, because from where we're taking it, they're not going anywhere near the inhuman show of any shape or form right now. I have a sinking suspicion that we're going to tie this very much to Captain Marvel. Could be. And it's going to have something to do with the Kree. Well, that could be. Because if you think about it, we have Secret Invasion coming up. Yep. That's going to tie into the Skrulls. If you're not familiar with their history in the comics, they've had a feud going on for years with the Kree. And this is where Captain Marvel was introduced and her powers came from as well. I wouldn't doubt that there's some connection there that we'll find out later as this show goes on. 
I am excited to see this is uh, how this plays out, and I would be very shocked if they went in humans with this. Yeah, I would be too. Yeah, just because of how bad the show was received, I don't, <laughs> I don't think they want to go anywhere near there. Except, nope. I'm sorry, Black Bolt in uh, Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness. Hell yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was down for that. Like oh, that yeah. was perfect. TV show, eh, watch at your own leisure. Can't really co-sign on or that. your own risk. Uh, basically, but then we get a shot of Kamala and her normal everyday life. And they do take a point to show her in a mosque. Yep. And she's also talking with her best friend, Nakia, mm-hmm. who is played by Yasmin Fletcher. Mm-hmm. And during this, they're talking about how Nakia wants to run for the elections on the mosque board. Yeah. And this is, becomes like a background of the story, too, because they do show that later on in the episode, um, when there is a festival going on, yeah, that... Uh, you see Kamala and Nakia going around and trying to mm-hmm. network and trying to really say Nakia should be elected to the board and really do some politics. She's doing some groundwork. You know, she's she's going door to door. She's handing out flyers. She's campaigning on why she should be elected to this board. It's, it's awesome to see. Yeah, it definitely is. And when they go into it a little later, that's going to be the real heart and soul of this episode. Because they do dance around with a little more high school stuff yeah. as well, too. Because we do see that Kamala and her friends are invited to a party. Yeah. And they do meet a new classmate mm-hmm. in Cameron. Yep. Who is a student that makes a very big splash to begin this uh, episode with. Yeah. Uh, played by Rishan. Not exactly the shy, you know, kind of introverted type you would expect at a new school. Very extroverted. Yes. Very, Ooh. very much so. And you do see that after he makes his jump in the pool, well, like most high school parties, <laughs> after he has enamored both yeah. Nakia and Kamala, yeah. the police show up. Yeah, they were making a little too much noise. One he, person even yells, I can't get busted. I need to go. Yep. So they all make a valiant escape in Cameron's car. Nice, uh, nice car. Oh, yes. Whew. And so during this point, too, we start seeing the jealousy happening with the best friend mm-hmm. and Cameron uh, for Kamala's attention, which mm-hmm. we we all know this this is oh, typical. We know, where, we know where this is going. Yeah, this this happens all the time in TV yeah. and, and movies. So nothing yeah. super shocking here. And you know what? They didn't overdo it too. Yeah, that's one thing I really liked about the writing of this show. We get dig a little small piece of this because Kamala and Cameron go out. And this is where Bruno's getting mad. And they didn't play it up that he was getting mad that he was getting overlooked more. Yeah. It was that, well, you want to be a superhero, you got to get trained. So we got to go do this. You know, there's no question about this. And, you know, obviously that happens. And then Kamala does get caught out there with Cameron and has to explain to her brother that, well, he's part of the family. Yeah. Which is awkward and weird. I'll say not exactly a line of bullshit the brother's buying because, well... He's a little familiar with the family. You know, he's familiar with the family uh, tree, as it were. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, who are you again? Okay, well, our, our uncle's from Pakistan. Why do you have an, an English accent? Yes. Or a British accent, excuse me. You know, you go, oh, I was just, oh, I'm just kidding. Oh, I was just watching, you know, I was doing a bit. I just got, I just got done binge-watching the Great British Baking Show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, they really try spinning it away, too, and then they're really cover, covering up about Cameron's uh, British-Pakistani uh, heritage. Because Kamala does not want to get caught having a boyfriend and mm-hmm. just all the trouble that would get because her parents have been very controlling thus far. Yeah. And that would just open up a whole ball of wax there yeah. that nobody wants to go near. However, though, we do fast forward a little bit to when they're having a family dinner mm-hmm. and Kamala is sitting there and then suddenly starts seeing a mysterious woman appear mm-hmm. in almost like a dreamlike state, which causes her to pass out. Yep. And when she wakes up, the family's around her, and she's trying to ask them questions about who she saw. 
which we're assuming is her great-grandmother. That's what I guessed, yeah. And obviously the one that first had the the uh, bracelets that give her her powers. And nobody is talking about her. They know. They just don't want to say. Yeah, so something mysterious is going on with her and the bracelets there. And I know that'll be a driving force as we go on further. Say There are some skeletons in that closet. Yeah, because there is some history there. Because as we go further into the episode, we get into the festival, as we talked about, which is the annual Ed Al-Fatir celebration. Mm -hmm. So when this is going on, like I said, during the day, we see the networking going on. And we do see that Kamala is kind of trying to ask for more information and nobody there is talking about her great-grandmother. Literally everyone knows and no one will tell her. Yeah, nobody is saying a word. Mm -hmm. But as night falls upon this, we do see that there is a young boy that is trying to get a selfie on a balcony. Hey, he's at the top He's at the top of the pillar on the mosque taking selfies with filters. Right. And he drops his phone, and then he slides off and is hanging on for his dear life. Well, because I, th- I th- no, well, he he drops his phone after he like slips and almost falls out the window, grabs onto the on a curtain that's mm-hmm. in that's in the room there, and of course the rings on the curtain start ripping off. He then drops the phone and he's dangling from the ledge of this, the top of this pillar on this mosque, going, "Oh my God, help!" Yes. So Kamala goes into her suit and goes to make the save. And she does actually wind up doing it. She shows that little instinct about being a superhero. Mm-hmm. Until the very end, because when she's trying to lower him down, because she's using her powers. And I want to say, like, this almost came off like Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you got that vibe too, Pat, or not. Mm, maybe a little bit. Just a little. I mean, not like bit. not like super Green Lantern, but she's making platforms to walk on yeah, and, and set yeah, down. It's con- it seems concentration-based. Yes. So she's focused in her energy, and it's basically a focus of will. But she's going to lower the young boy down, and then she has another vision Mm -hmm. of her great-grandmother, which causes her to slip, and then the boy falls, but obviously nothing fatal or anything like that. Yeah, she tries to grab him. like She uses the extended arms ability out of his reach, so then she just starts throwing. And I like the sequence or like the special effects with the little platforms because it's almost like, you know, Gambit throwing his cards and mm-hmm. and X-Men. It almost felt like that where she's just like, it's not like, oh, I'm pointing my hand out and conjuring them in, in space and time. She's like throwing them and he like just bounce, 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 land on the roof of the car and you just hear him go, my ankle. I'm like, all right, listen, kid, broken ankle, not exactly the most fun thing in the world. Could have been worse. Yeah, it could have been a lot worse considering how high you were taking a selfie, which... Uh, Kamala, Kamala training on the rooftop, not terminal velocity. Top of that mosque, might be terminal velocity. Exactly. So she does make the save, but then has to escape very quickly from the Eid El-Fatir celebration, mm-hmm. which I apologize if I messed up the name on that. But she does make the escape, but she does get caught. Almost. By a certain group that is the Department of uh, Damage Control. Uh-huh. Who has been now scouring... The tri-state area. And they apparently have drones. Yes, which they got drones, which we now find out. So they're making a play after they catch video of Kamala. Mm-hmm. And she has to make a, a very quick escape. And luckily, she's helped yet again by Cameron. Mm-hmm. Mm, convenient. Yes, who does pull up in the car, has her jump in because she's in full suit, too. Yep. And then in the back seat is Cameron's mother. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hi, I'd like you, like you to meet mom. Boy, this relationship's uh, moving along quickly. Yeah. So, and she's like, I've been waiting a while to meet you. Mm-hmm. And that's how the, the episode ends. Yeah. So the other thing we got to remember, too, is during the episode, she did 
think it was after dinner, she did FaceTime call with her grandmother who sent all the goods over to the household mm-hmm. and tried to get an explanation as to what was going because her family wasn't telling her. And the grandmother just brushes her off. So we do we did get to meet the grandmother briefly. Yes. So we are starting to meet more of Kamala's extended family. Yeah. But the great grandmother nobody's talking about. The, like literally the family and then the entire community. Listen, we know what's going on. She's uh she's not a nice person and we're not gonna talk about her. Yeah, no, there's rumors of an affair, she killed yeah. somebody, like you're you're seeing this legend grow yeah. and like what's true and what's not. So it is interesting to see how they're gonna try spinning this into a religion, but for how this episode ended up, I mean, Pat, final thoughts on this? Uh, great episode. Love the cliffhanger ending. And I'm excited to, just to see what the deal is with Cameron and his mother. Yeah. Because this dude clearly knows. Because he took, out of everyone at that party, he took a very quick liking to her for just a simple, oh, hey, I drive a car. You failed your road test. I want to give you road driver's lessons. Like, okay, that's really weird. You know, he took a very quick liking to her. And as we saw at the end of the episode, there are ulterior motives behind it. Yeah, so... Something happened that I think the bracelets are now giving a signal off. Now, yeah. if I want to speculate, and we'll just call this a, you know, a leap guess, as we do here on the ODPH. I think that when she used her powers the first time, that might buy into more of the Cree theory. Could be. And that sent a signal out to people that you know, are keeping an eye on who they are, and like I'm not saying this this family works for sword, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. or shield, but it definitely generated some kind of wave to start following Kamala and keep an eye on her and what she's up to. Now, where this is all going to play out, not really sure, but for two episodes in, mm-hmm. the, Disney has really captured the vibe of the comics, the vibe of the character. You're seeing a lot more stuff that is, like I say, it feels like an all ages show. Kind of, yeah. And that's what I really like about this because we've had everything from Hawkeye, which was amazing, Moon Knight, which is super gritty, to now a show that's the complete 180. Yeah. And it's really translating to fans that if you weren't sure who she was, Kamala Khan is now on your radar Mm -hmm. and you're definitely going to start checking out more of her stuff, what she's doing. And and like you said, it's got teen-oriented stories, but it's not overbearing with them. Yeah, like it's not – it doesn't feel forced. Like I know we talk with Superman and Lois on here. This doesn't feel as forced as the yeah. Jordan and Sarah it, romance. It, it's not like we're having entire sequences of like, oh, no, I have to figure out how to do my uh, my calculus homework. Ah, you know, like it's like, hey, I'm going to school. I'm, you know, a junior, almost a senior. I got to start figuring out life, you know, dealing with, with love and, and that point in every kid's life. Like it, it makes sense. No, it made absolute perfect sense. And everything they've done so far has been a big win. This episode is yet again continuing a good streak of shows. Like I said, it was more filler, but I wasn't mad about it because they dived into her background. They dived into her family. We got to see her powers and really how she goes about training them because, let's face it, she doesn't exactly know what's going on. The smartest person on the show is Bruno, who's getting threatened out to go to a different college away from Kamala. Yeah, yeah. So not sure how that's going to play out. But he's trying to figure out, okay, well, if, you're, if your bracelets are now activating, well, the power is coming from you. So what are you? Now it could be Terrage and Mist, like I said, that uh, would that would follow the comics, but I don't see them doing that. I mean, to me, the quantum uh, quantum energy thing makes more sense. Oh, it does, and I think they'll rely on that heavily now yeah. moving forward, especially with Quantum Mania coming out from Ant Man three. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's all connected, as Kevin Feige says. True, including Agents of Shield. You won't tell me otherwise. But that being said, the episode was very strong. It was a very fun, and it's very enjoyable to watch this show. So if you're not sure about this. 
I highly recommend it. I say give it a watch, and you you might be very surprised. Like if you're kind of thinking, oh, this is just be another teenage superhero show. Not exactly. It's got a good vibe to it. It's got some really intriguing storylines heading into it. And we're only two episodes in of a six-episode season. So definitely a perfect time to do a little binge-watching and catch up. But we gave you our takes about the latest episode of Miss Marvel. Now we want to hear yours, Page Society. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPagePod. Let's talk episode two entitled Crushed. Give us your thoughts. We definitely want to chat. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey there, Parlay Club. This is Stu from the Stu World Order podcast, and I just want to send congratulations out on five fantastic years of podcasting to the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, the worldwide leader in podcast entertainment and the biggest fans of Evangeline Lilly that you ever will see. Real talk, I love you guys. Ken is the hardest working man in independent podcasting. You guys deserve all the accolades you could ever get. Your show is fantastic. All the work you do behind the scenes is fantastic. And I look forward to, I would say, five more years of you guys, but that's not nearly enough. I look forward to 20 to 30 more years of ODPH goodness. So stick to it. Keep giving us all that content we have come to appreciate. And again, guys, love you. Happy anniversary. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And last week, we had such a stacked show, we did not get a chance to do a deep dive on a trailer we've been hit up on social media about at OD Parlay Hour on most accounts and that is the new trailer for Black Adam, mm-hmm. the long-awaited movie starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson and the title character of one of the most legendary DC comic characters of all time. Now, Pad, you are not familiar with Black Adam. Absolutely not. So here is basically the quick rundown of him. He has been long connected with the superhero Shazam or Captain Marvel, depending on how you want to go with your comics. Been around since the 1940s. I want to say 45. Okay. And is basically the evil version of Shazam. He has all the powers of him as well and is Mm. one of the most feared villains in all of the DC Comics universe. However, though, he is written very often as an anti-hero because basically he just cares about protecting his people of conduct and whatever he has to do to keep them safe in his mind, in his version, he does. Mm-hmm. So he's much along the lines of the anti-heroes you see like Magneto yeah. and, and such. That their methods are meant for a better goal in their minds. But in their heads, listen, this is the way things got to be. Mm-hmm. And like I say, over the years, he has definitely been written um, very interestingly, I would say. Yeah. And obviously is connected to such teams as the Justice Society a lot. Mm-hmm. He's had a little more high profile in the Justice League in yep. recent memory. So he's definitely a name when you see on screen, you recognize by the black shirt and the gold lightning bolt. Yep. But once you really deep dive into the character, like he's a very fascinating one. I really enjoy him when I caught him in JSA. And even like in the New 52 when they had that, uh, the short-lived series. Yeah. That was an interesting point, too, because when you really deep dive into him, he is a character that stands out. And in protecting conduct, I mean, that's the only thing he does. But he's not afraid to cross lines, which obviously in the superhero community, you can't do. No, usually not. No. So when Shazam was greenlit as a film and definitely meant to some success, it was only a matter of time before Black Adam came to the screen. Casting Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you can't get much more high profile than that. Probably the biggest actor no. in the world right now. Uh, financially, yes. Yes, and that brings a lot of weight, and he definitely brings a lot of the audience with him. And now we finally get the trailer long-awaited, and we are going to deep dive into the trailer and give you our takes on that. So, Pad, are you ready? Yeah. All right, so let's start talking Black Adam from DC Films. 
So as this opens up, we do see a ship flying over a snowy mountain mm-hmm. uh, scenery here. And it is voiced by Pierce Brosnan, who is playing Dr. Fate. So you do see him being the narrator to this. I don't care what the origin story of Dr. Fate is. My headcanon is that he is still James Bond. He, <laughs> he retired from MI6. He got old. He goes, you know what? I'm too old for this shit. I can't do it no more. I'm going to retire. I'm going to go to my library. I'm going to read up. I'm going to study. And then he got all weird and mystical. That's my headcanon. You know what? It can work, though. That's what Be- I'm saying. Because during this point, too, we do see a little variation from the comics because you do see that uh, the character of Black Adam is now being transported into a laboratory of sorts. Yeah, it all, and it's in like some sort of tank, almost like you see in Star Wars. Well, you know what? The, the vibe I got, and I know this is not going the same way of the comics, this is like Captain America, mm. like the super soldier serum and yeah, such. kind of. Like it was kind of that weird vibe that you see that he's now getting experimented on a little bit. And you just hear about, you know, Pierce Brosnan says this leads to nothing but heartache. And then you get another shot of the past because Black Adam has been around for many, many years mm-hmm. of a fight in, you know, ancient times yeah. where his son was sacrificed. You see that he's thrown off of a, a a rock, a rocky cliff. Yeah, like into a pit or something. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just a wild sequence. I mean, he says that in, his son was sacrificed to save him, and then he was reborn a god. Mm-hmm. And then you fast forward to what is present time, and it appears that it is the tomb that he has been imprisoned in. Yep. And you see that somebody, well, as in most of these situations, makes the wrong idea. Hey, let's see what's behind door number one. So they open Pandora's box, so to speak. Yep. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes, because that whole thing goes exploding. Mm-hmm. And then you just see his shadowy figure show up here. And then he goes back to the flashback sequence of him holding his son who sacrificed. You see that you these armed soldiers are now shifting back to the present, and they're standing around him and opening fire. And you're seeing that he is now flying in air. Well, so, yeah, there's uh, five guards in there as well. Yeah, so you're seeing that he's now getting attacked, which, I mean, this is just par for the course for him mm-hmm. i mean when you're gifted the powers of the gods bullets are not really going to stop you no like i say he has the same power set as shazam the stamina yes yeah. the swiftness the strength you know the flying you know the power like they say but it's just with great power comes great responsibility but what happens when you have no responsibility other to yourself all the power none of the morals yeah and then he basically says, you know, I don't kneel for anyone. I had to before, but not anymore, to paraphrase. You see him shooting electricity yeah. into a wall. Destroying the wall. Yep. You're hearing music go off. And then you're seeing another shot of the JSA plane. And we do get our first shot of Hawkman, mm-hmm. played by Aldous Hodge. Love the CGI here. The wings look really cool. Yeah, definitely looked really cool. And then you see a quick shot of Adam Smasher as well. Dr. Fate putting on the helmet. And Cyclone as well. So you do get a shot of this incarnation of the Justice Society of America, the precursor for the Justice League. Mm-hmm. So, and obviously they have had a much rich history in the DC Comics universe. So very cool to see them finally make their screen er, screen debut here. And you are seeing them fight somebody. It looks like present time from all the technology. And they're going through a city. And you're seeing that Black Adam and Hawkman are having a face-off. Mm-hmm. Because... Well, Black Adam's methods are not exactly uh, super heroic. I no, would say. they're not exactly superhero friendly. Uh, he's definitely ruffling some feathers, so yep. to speak, uh, shaking the shaking things up as they were. Yep. And then you see that Hawkman is actually saying to him, "Heroes don't kill." <laughs> well, I do. Yeah, and that's his response. I do. And then you get a shot to 
some guard that makes a very foolish mistake of hitting Black Adam in the face with a rod. Uh, it looks like a baton or something, yeah. Yep, and it, like I said, it looks very, very interesting as the gentleman is now thrown into the middle of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Reasons, folks, but I'm cool with it. And then you see the doctor's fate is now talking to him as we get a shot of him flying over a canyon towards some fighter jets. And the, mm-hmm. and, and the speech is, my visions have shown me a future. You have two choices. You can either be the destroyer of this world or the savior. Mm-hmm. And as you see this, you're also seeing Black Adam knock one of the planes out by just smacking the, the wing. And this is after the pilot of one of the, pl- the planes looks at him. And obviously they can't communicate. But hey, listen, I don't need to be a, a you know, speech interpret, interpreter to figure out what he's saying. The pilot looks at him and just points down now. And, uh, well, he doesn't listen. No, he definitely does not. And then you get another shot of him standing there defending the people of Kondak. And this group of whoever this is attacking him is making the mistake, and, and Black Adam is fighting them best he can. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing that, you know, obviously Dr. Fate is narrating this and saying, you know, whatever you choose, that's up to you. And then we get kind of a weird sequence where it looks like there's a couple of reporters that are trying to investigate. <laughs> and they're trying, they're in the middle of a war zone, as it appears, and Black yeah. Adam just pulls up next to him. They start slowly rolling up the windows with the old handles. Yeah. And somebody yells behind you, and as he turns around because he's wearing a tattered cloak, he basically catches a rocket in midair. He tell well, he teleports onto the other side of the vehicle, then catches the rocket. Yeah, and is standing there, and then emerges through the cloud of smoke with his hand electric buzzing on the windshield. Yeah, because I think it's it's a blink and you miss it kind of thing. I think he lets go, like he has a hold of the rocket, he looks at it. And then I think he lets it go, like it's like less than six inches away from his chest. Mm-hmm. And I think he lets go of it. It explodes into his chest so that it won't hurt anybody. And then that's when you see the lightning hand come through the smoke. Yeah. So a little bit of a teaser trailer, but this movie has been so anticipated. Pad, what is your thoughts after seeing this? The trailer looks good, and, and I'm certainly excited to see it, but I can't get past Dwayne Johnson looking like Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, you know he's one of those actors that like Tom Cruise or not Tom Cruise. Uh, uh, Tom Hanks is another one for me. He don't get me wrong. Tom Hanks is a great actor, but I can't ever suspend the disbelief that it's not Tom Hanks and it's some other character because I all see Tom Hanks like Tom Hanks is in that new Elvis movie that's coming out. I don't see that as oh that's the character that's the that's Elvis's manager. I'm like no that's Tom Hanks. Like Dwayne Johnson, he's a good actor. Don't get me wrong. I got nothing against the guy. Just whenever I see him, I can't suspend in my head that that's Dwayne Johnson. But other than that, I love the trailer. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, this is tailor made for him. And I do like the casting, but it's going to be interesting to see as we go forth. Because from what we've seen from the trailer, this just looks like the rock being the rock. And I do enjoy it. But I really want to see what kind of depth he gives to the role. Because at the end of the day, Black Adam is a very complex character. And he is an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Point blank. More sides, more times on the side of bad than good. But still, you there's methods to him. As they they said recently, he's been written very well as an anti-hero. Before, it was just a straight-up villain. Yeah. But now there's a little more depth to his character. And I'm kind of interested to see how they're going to pull this off. I'm not really sure where they're going to go with the story for this because, like we talk about, when you're trying to adapt a character to the big screen, you usually want to borrow from a lot of different elements from the comics. Rightfully so. Yeah. When you're a bad guy for most of your time, it's going to be tough to try spinning it into a situation where you're going to be redeemed and be good. In this situation, I'm wondering if they're going to borrow a lot from the New 52. Uh, That seems to be what they're going with these days. I kind of hope so. 
just in that little time frame that when he was really shown to be, you know, having good methods and, mm-hmm. then, you know, trying to basically do the right thing in his mind and especially for in- involving conduct, that is going to be the story that I think they should really try running with. Just how the JSA figures into this is going to be very interesting because you have to assume, is it going to be present time or are we talking past? It's a, it's a weird line to walk because the JSA hasn't been around right now and you are going to try connecting this to the Shazam movie. Um, yeah, and, and listen, I think it's an inevitable foregone conclusion. Like, this is the safest lock you can have in movie history in recent years. Mm-hmm. I think it's a foregone conclusion that at some point in the movie, Zachary Levi will show up in the movie at some point as Shazam. Oh, I would imagine so, too. I think the leap would be Henry Cavill as Superman because they have toyed around with that idea. Yeah. Because Superman and Black Adam usually do butt heads a lot of times in the <laughs> comics. So... It's not out of the realm of thought, but obviously due to the Shazam bonus scene that you had to really find online about, obviously, with how the Marvel family got their powers, there was one seat open. Obviously, that belongs to Black Adam. And it's going to be eventual that they do do a crossover at some point, I would imagine, for Shazam 3. Probably. But depending on what you want to do with Black Adam, because let's face it, The Rock is going to generate a, a billion dollars for this. Oh, yeah, this, this is a billion dollars easy. So you're going to do this big movie franchise. You're going to start doing sequels. Well, what happens when you're supposed to be the bad guy and you're overtaking the good guy? Uh-huh. That's that's going to be the tricky line they're going to have to walk. Because I think even though obviously the state of affairs of DC Films and Warner Brothers Discovery, we're still, we're still finding out the fallout. I would imagine Warner Brothers and Discovery are going to go like, hey, we can build a franchise around Join the Rock Johnson. Mm-hmm. We're going to put them on Justice League. We're going to redo that and make that into something else. Yeah, Which, not a bad idea because, well, they've done that in the comics. So I can see that point happening a lot. But it's going to be interesting when you want to try going forward and if he wants to do another sequel or is he going to be doing just Shazam 3. Interesting times we live in concerning this. But Mm -hmm. the trailer, though, I thought looked good. Um, I thought it was the greatest Injustice 3 preview game uh, trailer I've I've ever seen. Uh, Just because a lot of the stuff... It did feel like a video game to be at at times, but I didn't take anything away from it. The Rock looked like The Rock, and I can't escape that. Like you mentioned, Pat, yeah, that, he just—he's a great actor. Don't get me wrong, but I just can't get past the fact that he's himself. Yeah, like if you gave the people's eyebrow, I would have been like, oh no. Don't forget, he did give a rock bottom in one of the Fast movies. Yeah, exactly. So how they're going to portray it is going to be interesting. But I did like seeing the other JSA members. I marked out when I saw Pierce Brosnan finally oh, yeah. as Doctor Fate. Yeah. That I, that I was freaking out about, and the same thing Can with Hawkman. series with him, TV series. I mean, it could happen. I'd love to see that. The one thing is, after this movie comes out, this could be a situation like the Batman, yeah, where you see uh, those guys go to J or uh, HBO Max. Maybe like James Bond bias is showing. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, it could be like this, that's the whole thing because I think people are gonna be clamoring for it because there wouldn't be anything like them on TV if they really want to go JSA, like full JSA. Yeah. I understand Stargirl. Love Stargirl. think it's a great show. But there's one thing if you get the entire JSA squad on a show. That would be a big money thing, I think, for HBO Max or whatever the streaming service is going to be called. But I think it's going to be interesting as well for mm-hmm. that. Either way, thought the trailer looked good. I am very intrigued by this, the direction we're going to go in with this. Um a little more questions, though, as we get further down to October 21st when the movie is slated to come out, though. I think as long as they don't give too much away in the next one, I think yeah. the fans will be kind of excited. But I think if you've been a longtime reader of the comics, I think you're going to be going with a little skepticism. 
Maybe. Just because where do you go for a plot from here? And do I think they're going to go Venom? No, but at least <laughs> Venom has been uh, written more so as a hero lately with a few series. I mean, Donny Case has done magic with the character. I don't know necessarily if you can say the same thing with Black Adam for a franchise, but it's not out of the realm of thought to them to pull something out like that. Unless this is just a precursor for Shazam 3, but that's a whole different ballgame of wax that we got to talk about at some point. Either way, trailer looked very interesting. So, ODPH Society, I want to hear your thoughts. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your take on the Black Adam trailer from DC Films, Warner Brothers Discovery? Let's talk, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey there, this is Brian Lane of the Cheers to Comics podcast, and congratulations to the ODPH, Ken, Padawan J, and Coach Duffy just killing it for five years, man. Don't know where the industry would be without you, and here's to the next five years. Cheers. Coming back for the final segment of this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pat, what you got for those one shots? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, the first of which is Assassin's Creed video game related. Uh, because this year does mark the 15th anniversary of the first Assassin's Creed game coming out way back in 2007 for the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360. Uh, start of one of the most uh, beloved franchises, in my opinion. I, I love the franchise. Where, if you're not familiar, it is uh, a bunch of games taking place in the present, but you travel back into the past, mm-hmm. uh, into pivotal moments in history, such as you had the first game, you went back to one of the Crusades back in Jerusalem, and like, I forget the exact year, but it was like in the 1000s or whatever it is. You know, then you went to the Renaissance in Italy with uh, some of the following games. You went to the Revolution in America in Assassin's Creed 3. You were a pirate for a couple of them. Mm. Uh, you were in london for another one you were in uh during victorian england you were in france during the revolution for another one uh you were in ancient egypt during the time of julius caesar you know and then in the most recent one you're in uh like i think it's like 800 900 uh england you know with the vikings and and all that going on uh so this year does mark the 15th anniversary of the assassin's creed games and they're not one to pass up on the opportunity so they did have a live stream quote unquote although there really wasn't much to it but they did no, uh, announce some interesting stuff uh with in, uh, specifics to the celebrations roadmap uh so the, the tweet according to the official assassin's creed twitter account reads quote 12 weeks 12 unbelievable experiences travel back in time with us and relive your favorite assassin's creed titles with weekly contests behind-the-scenes content, community activities, and more. 15 years of memories, and we're just getting started. Uh, so it kicks off this month with uh, both Assassin's Creed Valhalla and then Assassin's Creed Odyssey, so the two most recent ed- entries into the franchise. Uh, Odyssey appears, according to the graphic they posted on Twitter, looks like it'll stretch into July as well, because July appears to include Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Assassin's Creed Origins, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, Assassin's Creed Unity, Assassin, and then Assassin's Creed Rogue. Uh, August uh, encompasses Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag, Assassin's Creed 3, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, and the, or excuse me, Revelations, and then Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. And Assassin's Creed 2 looks like it's straddling August and September, so it looks like there'll be some stuff there. Okay. And then September looks like it includes Assassin's Creed 2 and then the original Assassin's Creed. Uh, now, I know for Assassin's Creed Valhalla, they announced some more free content coming, you know, a different game mode or something coming with it. Uh, and then I know as well, uh, this coming weekend, I believe, uh, you're going to be able to play Assassin's Creed Origins for free. Now, th- there's a link on their Twitter page you got to go to and register and set up the whole thing up. But it, it's a fantastic game, and it really changed the feel of how the game... Because the, the games became kind of stale and kind of cookie-cutter and repeat. 
Origins flipped it all on its head and, okay. and is one of the most fantastic games. So definitely keep an eye out for some stuff. I'm willing to bet, seeing as they're going in reverse order, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up announcing a remaster, re-release of the original Assassin's Creed game. Because, you know, they've, they have they put it out initially. Mm. And you can still get it on Steam, but it's in its initial form. It's not, like, remastered. It's not HD up. No, it's just straight up the it, original game. Yeah, they've, they've never done anything with it yet. With Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood, and Revelations, they remastered and they put out as a bundle package. They remastered and put out Assassin's Creed 3, and then I think it was, like, a PlayStation uh, Vita game with it like they've remet and then rogue i know got remastered and like redone like they've remastered redone a whole bunch of the past ones Mm -hmm. but not assassin's creed one so if i had to go on a leap what we might end up seeing come september is a remaster re-release of assassin's creed one which i'd be all for just please for the love of god change some of the missions because as good as that game is and as awesome as the story is those missions were obscenely repetitive very quick yeah i was gonna say dated very too well it it was dated and it was very it was very cookie cutter was like hey go to the town go to the vantage point (laughs) and and unlock the map and kind of see where everything is and where all the missions are escort this person here follow this person there and kill them assassinate this target here like it was very like there's variety they've got a lot of variety and and variance to the missions once the game's moved on. But that first one, as good as it is, it's a very repetitive mission-wise. Okay. Uh, very excited for that. Though. Yeah, no, I mean, the Assassin's Creed franchise, I mean, that's been a big deal for yeah. many, many years. Yeah. Uh, switching over to some movie news, we got some announcements uh, courtesy of the folks over at Deadline for the upcoming anime uh, movie, The Lord of the Rings, The War of the Rohirrim. Mm. Uh, so this is an exclusive to Deadline where it reads, quote, Brian Cox, Gaia Wise, and Miranda Otto uh, are just some of the names in the voice cast for New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers Animation's upcoming The Lord of the Rings, The War of the Rohirrim. The movie centers around the fate of the House of Helm Hammerhand, the mighty King of Rohan, a character from the J.R.R. Tolkien book's appendix. Succession actor Cox will provide the voice of that antagonist. The anime, will feature, the anime feature, directed by Kenji Kayama is set 183 years before the events of the chronicle that the events chronicled in the original trilogy of films. A sudden attack by Wolf, a clever and ruthless Dunling Lord, seeking vengeance for the death of his father, forces Helm and his people to make a daring last stand in the ancient stronghold of the Hornburg, a mighty fortress uh, that will later come to be known as Helm's Deep. Finding himself in an increasingly desperate situation, Hera, the daughter of Helm, must summon the will to lead the resistance against a deadly enemy intent on their total destruction. Wise, uh, from A Walk in the Woods, will play Hammerhand's daughter, Hera, and Luke Pasquino, uh, from Snowpiercer, will portray Wolf. Otto, who starred in the Lord of the Rings movies, uh, reprises her role as Eowyn, shield maiden of Rohan, and serves as the tale's narrator. The voice ensemble includes Lorraine Ashbourne from Netflix's Bridgerton, uh, Yazdin uh, Kwafuri from I Came By, Benjamin Wainwright from BBC One's World on Fire, Lawrence Ubong uh, Williams from Gateway, Sean Dooley from Netflix's The Witcher, Michael Wildman from Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw, uh, Jude uh, Akudike from Beats of No Nation, Bilal Hassana from BBC Sparks, and Jane uh, Duvitsky from ITV's uh, Biendorm. Uh, the movie is being executive produced by Oscar winner uh, Philip Boyens from the screenwriting team behind the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit trilogies and produced by Joseph Chu from Blade Runner Black Lotus TV series. Uh, I am very excited for this. I was kind of skeptical on the fence about this, but having heard what it was about and kind of entailing, I'm like, all right, I'm here for this. It definitely sounds intriguing. Like, I remember 
remember I was with you on this. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to play out, but that does have my mm-hmm. fears a little oh, yeah. tempered there. So oh, yeah. can't wait to check this out. Uh, sticking, switching over to some uh, animated, or, well, animated TV news or movie news. I, mean, I think it's, I think this is new. Movies. I think you can count it as movies. Uh, according to the folks over at Variety, we have three Avatar The Last Airbender animated films in development at Paramount and Nickelodeon. Uh, reading from the article, it says, quote, three animated Avatar movies, no, not the one about the Navi, mm-hmm. are in the works at Paramount and Nickelodeon. Not to be confused with James Cameron's blockbuster Avatar franchise, the upcoming films are based on Avatar The Last Airbender, the anime-influenced TV series about a boy who can manip- uh, manipulate water, earth, fire, and air. The popular animated show aired on Nickelodeon from 2005 to 2008 and inspired a spin-off titled Legend of Korra as well as an upcoming live-action show on Netflix. Paramount, who made the announcement at uh, ANSI International Animation Film Festival, did not share plot details about the forthcoming trilogy. Lauren Montgomery, who worked on Avatar The Last Airbender, is directing the still-untitled film, the first of three standalone stories that are in the works. Uh, Avatar The Last Airbender's co-creators, Brian Konetsko and Michael DiMartino, will produce the movie, Avatar movies with Eric Coleman. Uh, the films are each uh, the films are under development uh, in development under the company's Avatar Studios banner, which was formed in February 2021. Uh, I am super excited for this, and... and the pie, this kind of ties into the podcast uh, Braving the Elements with Janet Varney and then Dante Bosco, okay. which it's been the rewatch and kind of going through. They they do talk about, about each episode. They interview some of the cast and crew. They've been hinting for a while that there's stuff going on. And seeing as Dante Bosco was the main one of the main characters in Avatar The Last Airbender, and then Janet Varney was the Avatar herself in Korra, they know some stuff. They are very familiar. They are very friendly with the show's co-creator, the show creators. They've been hinting for a while that stuff, like we know stuff is coming and we'd love to tell you, but we can't tell you. This is clearly what it is. What exactly it's going to be, I don't know, but I am fucking here for it. Yeah, I mean, this is right up your alley. Like, I, the minute I caught wind of this, I was like, oh, the pad's going to be mm-hmm. chomping at the bit about this. Yeah, I mean, they've been very tight-lipped. Like, yeah. that's the one thing about it. Yeah. I thought it was kind of, now that we're finally getting a little ear to the street about it. Very interested to see how this all plays. And then lastly, and certainly not lastly, we finally have a U.S. release date for a U.S. theatrical release date for the upcoming Dragon Ball Super movie, Dragon Ball Super Superhero. According to The Hollywood Reporter, uh, the article reads, the U.S. summer box office is about to get an anime bump. Sony's Crunchyroll Crunchy, Crunchy and Toei Animation revealed, the, uh, revealed release details Tuesday for Dragon Ball Super Superhero, the latest film in the blockbuster anime franchise. The film will open in North America on August 19th in more than 2,300 theaters, including in select IMAX cinemas. The first truly global theatrical release by Crunchyroll, Superhero will also release in international markets throughout August and September with Sony Pictures Entertainment partnering on the overseas rollout. After decades of ups and downs in international popularity, Japanese anime has crossed over into global mainstream in recent years, becoming a powerful, powerfully bankable genre in both cinema and on streaming platforms. The previous film in the Dragon Ball Super franchise, 2018's Dragon Ball Super Broly, was made for just $8.5 million, but earned $30 million in North America and over $120 million worldwide. Uh, so I am super fucking excited for this. This is the one that I went to the panel for in New York Comic Con this past year. And holy fuck, they're moving fast on this movie. I know that they were finishing up animation. They were, I think, they, if I remember right, they had only a couple more things to do. Yeah, right. Things were right. But then they had some of the English voice actors on stage. And this, now, mind you, we're, this is in mid June where we're saying this. Back in October, 
you had one if you go watch the trailer they put out for this news and, and it's got english voice acting in it back in october they said oh we, you know we don't know when it's going to come stateside they're still figuring out the distribution stuff and plus we have we're, we're just finding out our characters are going to be in the movies here today mm-hmm. we're like six months nine months whatever it is since, since that day and they've already started recording holy fuck they're moving on this yeah i am super excited and it cannot come out soon enough yeah, no, this definitely is exciting. And like, I remember you talking at Con about this, and you're just like, I, they're moving fast with this. Uh huh. I didn't think they'd be this fast. I've also got, I've also still got the music from the first trailer they debuted at New York Comic Con stuck in my head all these months later. Oh man, that's because right, be... it was playing on loop for like three damn days. That's wild. Super excited though. Definitely. So for my one shots, let's talk a little more movie news before I go comics here. Okay. But this is something. We've been hearing rumors about. They've been telegraphing a little bit on the Disney Plus shows. According to an article from Deadline, we now have a Thunderbolts movie getting made by Marvel Studios. Jake Shire is going to be directing, and this one, well, is going to be kind of interesting to see how this plays out. Because if you're familiar with the Thunderbolts franchise, it could go one of two ways. But according to the article from Deadline, and I quote, Not much is known about the plot of the film other than it resolves around a group of villains who are sent on missions commissioned by the government. And basically... From this article, it is alluding that it will be uh, like a Suicide Squad type deal. Okay. So, Makes sense. Now, if you've read the comics, see, I think it's going to be a little different than what they're, um, the t- the kind of running idea is going to be. I don't necessarily know if it's going to be Suicide Squad-esque, but I think they're going to be combining a lot of elements. Now, are you familiar with the Thunderbolts from the comics, Pat? No. Okay. So there's a couple incarnations that... I think they're going to kind of dabble here and borrow from different elements. The first run came out in the 90s with Kurt Busiek on writing. Mark Bagley was drawing. You know him from Ultimate Mm Spider-Man. And the premise was that there was a group of heroes that formed when the Avengers and Fantastic Four were lost in the events of Onslaught. So they were gone. That was the year that the properties went to Extreme Studios and Wildstorm, respectively. Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld were doing them for a year. At this time came out this book, Justice Like Lightning, and those Thunderbolts. In my opinion, this was the last great reveal not ruined on the internet. Okay. Because you had all these brand new heroes, Citizen V, leading these heroic people, trying to fill the void of the Avengers until you get to the last page. Mm -hmm. And the last page, you see the mask come off of Citizen V. And it's Baron Zemo. Oh, damn. And all the heroes are the masters of evil. Mm. So you're seeing the Beatle, he is now Mach 1. You're seeing Songbird, who is screaming Mimi. You're seeing Moonstone, who is somebody else. Like, it's been a while since I've read it, but it's a fantastic read. And especially, you have to remember, at that time, not everything was ruined by the internet. True. So this was the buzz at the comic shop for, like, a solid two months. Because it, when issue two came out, we're like, wait, is this real? Like, what's going to happen? Right. And how that story spun, and it's so it's one of the best first runs of a comic, in my opinion, because then they implement Hawkeye mm-hmm. on the team. Because well, some of these villains really like being heroes for once. Some do not, right? And it's this weird conflict of interest, and then all of a sudden, thunder because Hawkeye leaves the Avengers to come and lead this team. Now, am I saying that's going to happen here? No, but. I don't doubt that the premise of this is they'll get rolled out to fill the void because there's no Avengers, because there's no Captain America, or there's Captain America, but there's no Iron Man, there's no Thor right now. Mm -hmm. The world is still going to need heroes. 
And I don't think they're going to have Sam Wilson involved in this as Captain America yet. He will be coming, though, rest assured. Because I think what they're going to try doing is implement that you'll see maybe Zemo be Citizen V. Right. And he'll be leading a squad of the villains that we know from the Marvel Universe, the cinematic that we know right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, such as Abomination, Yelena. Mm Mm-hmm. God help me, U.S. agent. <laughs> Which I say Sam Wilson can't get here soon enough. Uh, you'll see uh, Ghost yep. uh, from Ant-Man. Yep. I actually forgot until we had the chat with the 8122 Productions. That got brought up, so I got to shout out Ron Diesel and, and Rich yep. about that one. And then I think they're going to throw a curveball in there, too. Because if you're really going to do Thunderbolts, mm-hmm. there's two characters that you definitely need from that original run. You need Songbird and you need Moonstone. Yeah. Yeah, Moonstone is kind of like an Emma Frost type character. Uh, okay. But and I think she's going to get introduced in the Marvel sequel. Okay. I have a I haven't heard anything official. This is my ODPH guess. Songbird I think gets introduced for this show alone, whenever or the movie when they ever do it. Because the other way you can spin this is if you try borrowing from Dark Avengers, and if you're not familiar with that, that's when Norman Osborn decided to create his own Avengers team. And it was basically imitation Hawkeye, who was really Bullseye. Dakin, who was imitation Wolverine. And you had Penance, who was Speedball. But this was also during the time of his uh, feelings after he caused the events of Civil War. Yeah. The first one. Yeah. And how dark and twisted that book got. I could see them doing a little mix of that in with this as well. And then, like I say, the Thunderbolts have had different incarnations over recent years. I know there was like the Red Squad where it was... Deadpool, mm-hmm. Punisher with a red logo, Elektra, yep. Yep. Uh, Red Hulk. So I could see them borrowing a little bit from all three for this. But I would love to see them try imitating the first run as much as they can adapt it. Like, yeah. there's no Avengers right now. The world needs heroes. But then it turns out this government bad guys funding them to do you know bad stuff. Either way, I'm excited for this, except I get to yeah. see John Walker again because I don't really give a crap about seeing him back on my screen ever again <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. All of the U.S. agent uh, memorabilia can be mailed to. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Oh, I know. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. Uh, At be... Odie Parley, our, <laughs> your favorite uh, art pieces of U.S. agent. Yeah, I know. I'm sure there'll be a thread coming up by somebody about that. But either way, like I say, I'm excited to see this film is going to get done. I'm not sure exactly who's going to be here, but I would say Zemo is probably the closest to a lock. As long as he dances. Yeah, he's got to do the dance. If he doesn't do the dance, it's it's. I don't want to hear about it. I really don't. But um, I would also like to say maybe you, you might see Sebastian Shaw reprise his role as a winter, or winter Soldier. Yeah, maybe. You know, I think that that would be a cool thing to see if he wants to do that as well. Because, like I say, you can do a lot of different arcs with his team. They're not exactly um, – or Sebastian Stan. What do I call Sebastian Shaw? Uh, sorry, I'm thinking X-Men because I'm looking at uh, comics right now as we're talking as well. But – this is one of those situations that you could definitely do a lot of incarnations, and I think they would all come off very, very well. So excited about this movie. Definitely want to see it when it comes out, except if, I will applaud it and give it all the mics in the world if they kill off U.S. agent within the first five minutes. So give Sebastian Shaw some shout-out. Also the uh, actor for Anakin in Return of the Jedi. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, Sebastian Shaw is the name of the gentleman who plays Anakin in Under the Suit in uh, Return of the Jedi. <laughs> See, that's what happens when I start looking at comics, man. But that that's a very fun point, though, Pat. Yeah. Because, yeah, because we'll be talking a little X-Men and some other books at the shop this week because that's what we'll close out with. So, Comicsology Originals. I always preach this line, and I definitely think you should go check it out. Cold Iron number 2 is out. 
So this is a book we've been covering by Andy Diggle and Nick Brokenshire. Uh, very cool supernatural vibe going on with this. The story of Kay and, and Mona and how they're trying to escape through the night and the, the craziness that they come through has been definitely picking up some steam. So you definitely want to go check that out. Love and War number three is out as well. The rom-com over Tug of War mm-hmm. it continues on. So if you're into rom-com books, you definitely want to go check that out on Comixology orig- Originals as well. And also coming from our friends from Boom Studios. There is a monster book that they have. And I can't stress this enough. If you're not getting this book right now while it's still coming out, second issue, you're going to be missing out. Stephanie Phillips and Flavino present Grim number 2. Mm-hmm. Now, the first issue, multi-prints right now. It's flying off the shelves. Issue number two lives up to the hype. It is one of the coolest reads at the shops, without question. The art is absolutely killing it. Like I said, Flavino absolutely is crushing it in this book, and Stephanie Phillips does an amazing job. I'm showing, see, this is where I get the live reaction from Pat. Ooh, that's nice. We see a lot of stuff here. Yeah. So now you see how it's nice and peaceful. You see how it's nice and peaceful. And then look what happens here. Oh, good God. Yes. You get Jeez. this. Jesus. Yes. So if you want to find out what we're talking about with that, definitely pick it up. I give it a very, very high recommendation at the shops this week. Grim number two is absolutely crushing. And like I said, if you can find issue number one, go pick it up as well. And then we have probably one of the most emotional reads I have read in a while coming out of the pages of Power Rangers. Oh, yeah? Number, number 20. So obviously there's been news breaking Ryan Parrott's uh, going to leave the book at issue 100. So we're on the charge to 100 legacy numbering. Mm-hmm. So he is leaving. Matt Groom has also been announced that he's going to be stepping away from the franchise as well. So they're building up for some big moment to come down in issue 100. Right. So right now this is currently, currently legacy number 95. Mm. And this is dealing with a power Rangers parent passing away. Oh, Ryan Parrott writes this brilliant, emotionally heart-tugging book that will put you in all the feels, as they say. Mm-hmm. It's beautifully written. The art is on point. And you do get some other story that they're building on because there is another story that's happening with this team as we're going towards issue 100 that I have a feeling I know who's showing up for this. And, and this is coming out of the Altarian War. You think, how can you top this? I have an idea, but I don't want to go spoil it on air just yet. I might, right. I might wait till after this. But the issue is extremely well done. I can't praise it enough. Ryan Parrott absolutely wrote an amazing piece of literature here. So you definitely want to go check that out by Boom Studios because they are definitely doing a lot of very, very cool things at the comic shops. Also, this week, Pad, do you like dinosaurs? Sure. Do you like the Justice League? Yeah. How do you like them thrown together? Uh, it's an interesting combo. The Jurassic League continues on. Issue number two is hitting the shelves. Done by the one and only Daniel Warren Johnson. So, and uh, one Gato, mm-hmm. or Gideon. I apologize for messing the name. Uh, that is out on shelves right now, and that is a book you definitely want to go check out. It's a fun, fun book. If you haven't read it already, I can't stress enough. Like It is just an enjoyable read because, like I say, you mix a lot of crazy elements going on there as well. Also, from Daniel Warren Johnson, too, we have a book that is right up our alley. It's called Do a Powerbomb. Uh-oh. So it, wrestling and comics, what can I say? I'm showing Pad the cover right now. Jesus Christ. That looks like something we would read. That looks wild. Yes. Daniel Warren Johnson does fantastic work, so you definitely want to go check that one out. I definitely got to swing over to the comic shop and grab that. Also, by our friends over at Image Comics, Radiant Black, number 15, Kyle Higgins and Eduardo Figueroa. 
Uh, definitely are continuing the strong book that is Radiant Black. It's a must-read every month. So enough said about that. And then closing out for Marvel Comics, Moon Knight, Black, White, and Blood. All I got to say to you is David Pepos. Mm-hmm. That's all I need to say. Go get the book. <laughs> he is attached to this project. You need to have it in your collection. And obviously Wolverine number 22. There's like a, there's a bunch of X-Men books coming out this week too. You definitely want to keep your eye on. So definitely make sure to head over to your local comic shops. Go pick up these books. Go pick up some other ones. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you're reading this week. What should we be checking out? And always support your LS, or LCS and support your favorite independent po- comic podcast as well. Because we're all putting big work. Trying to guide you to what you should pick up on the shelves at the comic shops this week. So that being said, Pad, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that of Shout at the Robots. They read comics. They watch mm-hmm. movies. They watch TV. Pad, if I want to find out more about them, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. So I'm going to have a music section. Check on everything I want to shout. Second suitor, Tom Jolu. Brian Wolf, who came uh, out with his EP and a little video package I hear some noise about. i got to go find it. I have not been sent it yet. But you want to check out him, Floodlands, Yard Party, all the amazing bands that give us their music on the show each and every week. We definitely appreciate that. So you should go support them and show, show your love to them as well. Also, while you're on the website, check out Parley Points. New blog's up right now. So like I say, all those reviews I mentioned from Boom Studios and Comixology Originals line, you definitely want to go read. I do a little more deep diving into them on here. So definitely keep an eye on those for you when you go shopping this week. Also, we got new blogs from Dre Driven, Coach Duffy. Man, the blogs are really blowing up right now. So if you're not familiar, get familiar. Subscribe to that RSS, as they say. Also, you swing on over to the directory, which, Pat, how many providers are we on? Uh, 61,550. Sounds about right. Feels uh, that way. So if we're not in your favorite podcast player, let us know where we're not on yet, and we'll see about getting that fixed for you because we have the players right up there. So it is never that hard to hit follow, subscribe, and you get the ODPH delivered to your favorite podcast platform that easy so you don't miss an episode of content. Also, while you're at the website, check out the classified section, which has... Friends of the show, organizational links support Black Lives Matter, all the amazing pod groups we're in. So shout out to the Inner Circle, shout out to the Apocalypse, and of course, shout out to 607 Podcast and 8122 Productions. Also, shout out to Dragon Master Games, too. I think that was the one group that we forgot to leave out on yesterday's shout out list mm. because of how many times they allow us to come down there with 3FN and do events and do a lot of stuff. No questions asked. Shout out to Ricky and Dawn. So for all your gaming needs, the link is right there. Go give them all the support and business in the world because they're fantastic people. All of that, the T Public Store. If it's anything and anything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. That said, Pad, that's all I got for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Uh, seven days away from, uh, what is it? Umbrella, Umbrella Academy. Academy Season 3. Also, shout out to Amazon and the crew of the boys. Uh, first, uh, what is it, four episodes? Yeah. Fan-fucking-tastic. Yeah, we might have to deep dive into that, too. I did the spoiler-free review since we were allowed uh, screener access, so I'm trying not to spoil anything, mm-hmm. but... My God, the, first, it, the it's been so good. The episodes I've been doing the rewatches have been coming out too. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Give Anthony Starr all the Emmys, all <laughs> all the awards for that man. I did see a fan casting the other day of speaking of uh, Anthony Starr. Anthony Starr's Reverse Flash. Oh my God, give it to me. Uh huh. I said the same thing. Give it to me. Whatever that man is doing on screen is gold. And like I say, his portrayal of Homelander. If you're not watching, holy shit, man! Four episodes in. He's fucking nuts. He is putting on a performance of a lifetime, and if they snub him, I swear we're going to lose it on this show. We might have to get behind a Patreon wall just to air that episode. I might lose it that badly. But I say thank you as always for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We will see you next time.
task at hand.